here and have come to worship with us today. We're going to be in a portion of Scripture today that is, um, we're going to travel forward a little bit in the life of David. And uh, a lot of things have taken place and are taking place as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 6. But before you go there, um, just hold off because we'll be in a couple of other passages of Scripture before we get to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. A lot of things have happened. Uh, David uh, has come to the throne. Uh, it began in Hebron. He was in Hebron for seven and a half years uh, when David took the throne in Hebron. And matter of fact, in, in David's journey up to this point, uh, David has had some, some minor difficulties along the way. But when he took the throne in Hebron, some things changed in David's life. And, and after his episode with Ziklag, when he comes to Hebron, David begins to seek the Lord for all that God has for him as he takes the throne at Hebron. And he was very patient with God. And we talked about this uh, as he stayed there in Hebron for the seven and a half years waiting on God because... Eventually, David would take uh, the throne and it would be placed in Jerusalem. The difficulty that you had with Jerusalem was this. Jerusalem was still maintained by the Jebusites, and, uh, so, which was part of, of the Canaanites. And so the Jebusites still controlled that area. And David and them would have to take the Jebusites and take the city of Jerusalem, of which they did. And so David now in the throne is established in Jerusalem. And as it's established in Jerusalem, one of the other things that is going to take place is David begins to set things up inside of Jerusalem. David notices something that has occurred. Something is missing. Uh, something is not there. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant uh, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is with them at all times, is not there. As a matter of fact, the Philistines, in one of the battles, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and uh, took it from Israel. And so as David gets to Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant is not there. And so it is significant in, in this journey of David to the throne because the Ark of the Covenant is a significant issue with Israel. Because inside of the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to look at that as, as we kind of set the stage for where we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter number 6, because something happens in 2 Samuel chapter 6 that probably was along the lines of presumption with David. And David just presumed that since he was the king and they needed the Ark of the Covenant, that David could do some things to get the Ark of the Covenant brought back to Jerusalem, and we're going to see how costly that decision was for David. Now, the loss of the Ark of the Covenant, what did it mean? It meant that the presence of God had departed. It was, it was not there. God dwelt in his glory upon the Ark of the Covenant, and we see that in the Old Testament. Um, matter of fact, it was so important that Moses was given very specific instructions on its construction. And not only on its construction, but in the way that the Ark of the Covenant would even be carried. Matter of fact, if you will turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. 
Exodus chapter 25, we'll see just uh, to the extent of how important the Ark of the Covenant was. When we understand the significance and how important the Ark of the Covenant was and is, we'll have a greater appreciation for what occurred when we get to 2 Samuel chapter number 6. Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 10. And so they shall construct an ark of a acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it, and you shall make a gold molding around it. You shall cast four gold rings for it and fasten them on its four feet. And two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. Now I want you to pay particular attention to those rings that are going to be attached to the Ark of the Covenant. And let me say something to you. Those rings weren't attached to the Ark of the Covenant just to put rings on the covenant. Matter of fact, when you look down at verse 14, you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the Ark to carry the Ark with them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the Ark. Notice this, they shall not, they shall not be removed from it. Those poles were to always be there. When it was transported, the poles were there. When it was set down in its location or its spot, the poles would continue to remain in the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 16, and you shall put into the Ark the testimony which I shall give you. Also on the Ark of the Covenant... Excuse me, was the mercy seat that sat on the top. So you had the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant. They're missing. And so for Israel, it was pretty significant. And even for David, now that's the construction of it. Let's go to Numbers chapter number four. Numbers chapter four, and you'll see the way that it was to be transported. Numbers chapter four. And we'll see the way it's to be transported. (coughs) Excuse me. Numbers chapter 4, verse 15. So when Aaron, verse 15 of chapter 4, and when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings, of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kor hath shall come to carry them, so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kor are to carry. <clears throat> they will carry the Ark of the Covenant. It is to only be carried by the Levites. It only be to transported only by them, by no one else. So, Is the Ark of the Covenant important to God? It is. Was it important to its construction? It was. Was it important to the the way that it was carried and transported? It was. So when David comes to the throne, he realized that the Ark of the Covenant was missing. It was not there. And so David sets out to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. To David... One of the things I want you to understand about David, when it came to God, no detail was unimportant, including the Ark of the Covenant. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
So David now is taking the throne in Jerusalem. And the things that are going to take place surrounding all of this. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 2. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, and I want you to notice the number. There's 30,000 of them. He's gathered all of them together, and David arose, verse 2, and he went with all of the people who were with him to Baali Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name the very name of the Lord of hosts who is enthroned above the cherubim. Baali Judah is an interesting place because it is actually Kiriath Yarim. That is the actual location. Baali means Lord or master or possessor. So when you look at Baali Judah, that's the reference to Baali Judah there is now David and Israel is going to possess Jerusalem. They're going to possess that region and that area. And so as they make their move there, we can understand what is taking place with David and all of the events surrounding the Ark of the Covenant. But David also knew for the people to worship that they needed the Ark in Jerusalem. That's where it needed to come to. So here's what they did. They devised a way to get the Ark and to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem. So they devised a way. Now here's what I want you to understand. What they felt like from a human standpoint or from from the standpoint of man, the best way and the quickest way. They feel the quickest way would be to bring it along this route, the best way to transport it. They have devised this way that they're going to transport the Ark of the Covenant. Now I want you to understand something. The way that they're going to devise to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem is not the way that God said that it would happen. It is not the way that it would occur. And so as we consider what is taking place here, what happens to David here is David gets himself into trouble once again. Because David has elected to do it in a way that he felt was best and probably the quickest way to get it back. I want you to notice verse 3 through verse 7 of Samuel chapter 6 as it continues to unfold. And so they placed the ark of God on a what? On a new cart. Hey, sounds good. It's a new cart. Nothing has ever been on this cart before. And so therefore, understanding the significance of the Ark of the Covenant, surely by placing it on a new cart to transport it, that would be a good way to transport the Ark. But keep in mind, that is not the way God intended it to be transported. And so that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. Shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been with it, other than at a distance, but not leading this new cart. Verse 4, so they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. And Meanwhile, David and all of the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood 
and with lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So guess what they're doing? They got the ark. They're transporting it back. We've put it on a brand new cart. We're going to take it from the hill where Abinadab was, and we're going to begin to transport this thing back to Jerusalem. Everything as far as they were concerned was going along just fine because one of the things that you see in verse number 5, they begin doing what? They're rejoicing because the Ark of the Covenant is making its way back to Jerusalem. And so once again, the presence of the Lord could uh, be found on the Ark of the Covenant back in Jerusalem where it should be, and they could worship together in Jerusalem but what happens they got a new cart they're praising everything's sounding real good everything's looking real good so far but we come to verse six you know there's always a but but to come to verse six but when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon a threshing floor is where they would winnow wheat And so as the winnowing process take place and the wind would blow through those regions where they were threshing, oftentimes some of the grain would find itself as it would kind of get blown out or spill out around in the area. So there is some thought that probably on this new cart, that as they were pulling it along, that the ark or the cart, who was pulling the cart, may have gotten distracted to some degree. So what happens in the distraction? Well, notice the next part of verse 6. And so Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God. Uzzah reached out and he took hold of it. For the oxen, probably their attention drawn to the threshing floor. And now this ark begins to, to kind of tilt a little bit and so guess what user reaches his hand out to steady it and when he reaches his hand out to steady it guess what happens verse 7 and the anger of the lord burned against user and god struck him down there for his irreverence and he died there by the ark of god Hmm. that's Pretty substantial. They're celebrating the return of the ark. And now, Yuza is dead. So what do you think happens to David at this point? And let me make a statement here. Here's what they did. A convenient route. And... They changed the details to fit the expediency of the hour. That's where David got in trouble. Changed the route and because of the expediency of the hour, changed the details by which it would be transported. So what does that cause for David? User lost his life. Point number one of three points that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, a right goal does not validate the use of improper means to achieve it. Was his intention good? Yes. Was David's desire for the Ark of the Covenant to return to Jerusalem? Yes. 
Was there anything wrong with the intent of David's heart to bring the... And I'm going to tell you something. For us, many of us, why in the world God would you... All they're trying to do is get the ark back to Jerusalem because of the importance of the ark. My dear friend, just because we have a right goal does not does not validate the use of an improper means to achieve that goal. And that's difficult sometimes for us to hold to that. And so we find even from David what it caused in David. But here, let me, let me say this this morning. Do nothing until it's right. Do nothing until it's right. Then do it to the absolute best that you can. When it's the right thing to do, then do the right thing. When it's, when it's questionable... Have patience, as David did previous to this. And now we see David is, is now once again David in his expediency to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He sidetracked the details. And David said in all of this, and we're going to see in just a moment, but that Ark of the Covenant should have been transported with the poles still in the rings and carried according to the law. But they circumvented that. Look at verse 8. So what does David do? David became what? Angry because of the Lord's outburst against Yuza. And that place is called Perez Yuza to this day. David got angry with God. Well, be careful. I hear people say this all the time. David shouldn't have got angry with God. He knew he was wrong. <laughs> really? Let me ask you a question. How many of us have traveled down the same road before? Huh? God, why? Why in the world, God, did you do that? Their intention was good. Their intention was right. But God, why? So what, is, so what does David ask God? David became angry with God as to why in the world did you, why did you, why did you strike, use, and kill him? David, don't you remember? David, don't you understand? David, the law is very clear. The Ark of the Covenant is to only be transported one way and one way only. And then it brings me to point number two this morning, and it's this. Having a heart for God does not mean you're perfect. I don't know sometimes why we try to create that, but having a heart for God does not mean you're perfect. There's only one perfect one who lived and walked on the face of this earth, and it was Jesus Christ himself. But having a heart for God does not mean that you're perfect. So what does it mean? To have a heart for God, to seek after God, to, to, to seek God in all that we do. What, is it, what, what, is that, what does that really mean? It means you're sensitive to the things of God. Always searching for the will of God. And when we find ourselves in the wrong place or we see that we're wrong, guess what? We're, we're, we're quick and we're ready to face it, whatever it may be. Look at verse 9 of 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
So David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, now I want you to notice as it changes again. Because notice what David now says one more time. He said, all right, then how can the ark then come to me? In other words, how should it happen? How should be the right way for it to come? Well, I tell you what, let's go to Chronicles. Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And notice as this is chronicled for us, in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, we get a little bit more detail. 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Beginning in verse number 1. 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Beginning in verse number 1. Now David built houses for himself in the city of David. And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. They're going to bring the ark of God. Now keep in mind, here's one of the things I want you to understand. There is no temple in Jerusalem at this point. So David has built houses for himself, but he needs a place for the Ark of the Covenant. So they build a tent for the Ark of the Covenant to place the Ark of the Covenant in. And so David makes sure that that is ready. Verse 2, notice what David said. Then David said, no one is to carry the Ark of God but the Levites. My, what a change. So we get a little bit more detail here in 1 Chronicles 15 because now David says, when you transport the ark, and oh, by the way, oh, by the way it went to the house of Obed-Edom first, stayed there for three months before it's finally brought into Jerusalem. But it's now done the correct way, and David says, only by the Levites, for the Lord chose them. Notice what he says. Who chose them? God did. God set that out, and God and the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And so David assembled all of Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And from verse 4, David gathered together the sons of Aaron and the Levites of the sons of Kohath, and on down he gives us the whole list. And we come down to verse 13. And I want you to notice what it says. Because you did not carry it at the first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us. Because we did it wrong the first time, and God brought that judgment on us the first time, David says this time, it is going to happen the way that it should. For we did not seek. You, listen, please underline that, that last part of verse 13. And notice what David admits to. For we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. Listen, David admitted his wrong. David understood now at this point who it was that was supposed to transport. And you would think before they transported it the first time that the Levites would have told David, that's wrong, David. That is not the way the ark is to be transported. 
So what does that, what does that mean for us? Well, look at verse 15. So the sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles of their own, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Now let's go back to 2 Samuel. So it brings me to my third point this morning. Approaching God in worship requires holy reverence. So what are they going to do in 2 Samuel chapter number 6? Verse 10 of 2 Samuel 6. And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Odom or Obed-Edom and all of his household. And then you come to verse 12 of chapter 6. And the ark is finally brought back to Jerusalem. But it's brought back the right way. And so the ark comes back and finds itself back in Jerusalem. Approaching God in worship requires holy reverence. To transport the ark the first time cost them. It was a costly decision that David made. But one of the things that David did, David realized what he had done. David admitted his wrong, and then he paused, and they did it right the next time around. I'm thankful today for God's grace and his mercy, that even in our lives, we may make a wrong path, we may make a wrong choice, we may make a wrong decision, we may have the best of intentions And they be deep-seated, best of intentions. But it still be against what God says we should or should not do. And so therefore for us, when we make the wrong step, the important thing is that we face it. And we understand where we are and where we need to be. And I'm going to tell you this morning, God is full of mercy, full of grace, And full of love. That's who he is. That's who God is. So number three. Approaching God. In worship requires holy reverence. So what does that mean? Well turn with me to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. And I want you to notice with me verse 2. Psalm 29. I think sometimes in the busyness of where we find ourselves today and in circumstances and culture, If I, if I could caution you with this today and encourage you with this today, don't circumvent the right path. Don't take a shortcut. 
don't try to manipulate the path that we should be on. And never at any time should we ever look at, well, you know, if, 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 we're, if we're going to be this, then it's going to require us to do this. Hold on just a minute. What does God say we should do? Regardless of the winds that are blowing around us, what is it that God says that we do? Look at Psalm 29, verse 1 and verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his what? Listen. God deserves all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. That's who he is. My dear friend, everything that takes place, everything that, 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 is, that, is, that is done, never should any of us take credit for any of it. Let me ask you a question. Do we have, do we have a real sense of what it means to have an awe and a reverence for a holy God today. Here's what I want you to understand. Isaiah chapter 6, where Elijah ran, uh, read from this morning. Do you realize that the Shekinah glory of God filled the temple? It shook the doorposts when it filled the temple. Matter of fact, to the point that it drove Isaiah to a place of worship in his own life. Isaiah understood who he was before a holy God. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live in, within a people of unclean lips. Isaiah understood who he was. And my question today is, I wonder if we understand who we are in the eyes of a holy and a reverent God, the God that we serve. What does that mean to us? To understand his holiness, to understand that all glory is due to his name. And look at the last part of verse number two. Worship the Lord in holy array. Worship him how? In holiness. The passage I was just speaking about, let's go there. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Matter of fact, in the vision that we see here is Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, in the train of his robe filling the temple. You know, I can only, I, sometimes, I, you know, I, I, I just, for me, I don't know about you, okay? Some of y'all may be, some of y'all may look at me like, brother, you've lost your mind. But I've often wondered what it must have been like for Isaiah to have witnessed what he witnessed. I mean, the seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, from one seraphim to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. I can only imagine what it must have been like when Moses was on Mount Sinai and the glory of God came on the mountain while Moses was there. And matter of fact, it said when Moses came down off the mountain, he couldn't, the, the people couldn't look at him, on him. Why? Because he shone so brightly. I don't think any of us in this building this morning fully comprehend or understand when we talk about the very glory and the essence of God and who He is. And realizing and understanding that one day we will stand in His presence. So what do we do today? We worship Him in spirit and in truth. We worship Him with holiness and with reference for who He is. Notice what it did to Isaiah. When Isaiah got a, when he, when he understood who God was, and he saw who he was, I want you to notice what it says. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sins, and your sin is forgiven. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. What? Send me. I honestly believe when we get the right the right look of who God is will be the same way here am I Lord send me I'll go I will go we should offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe why because God is a consuming fire real quickly turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and verse 29. The writer of Hebrews, as he shares it with us, as to who God is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and verse 29. Therefore, after everything else has been said, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us, notice what it says, the week of Thanksgiving, where we kind of set aside to, to be thankful, okay? Let me tell you something. For the believer, our heart ought to be a thankful heart every single day. Notice what it says. Let us show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable service with what? With reverence and awe. Why? Because our God is a what? A consuming fire. That's who he is. So the best proof this morning for your love for the Lord is obedience. Nothing more, nothing less. You can circumvent it all day long. But at the end of the day, nothing more, nothing less. All Jesus asks for, all God asks for is our what? 
is our obedience in our heart. All right. So what does all this mean to me? I said three points. Now I'm going to give you three more. (laughs) Number one, pay attention to the things that God considers important. Pay attention to the things that God considers important. Number two, this is in the form of a question. How do you see God today? Do you see him as in the image of an old man sitting in a rocking chair up in heaven somewhere with a long white beard? And then number three. If you've not been born again, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You don't want to meet the God of Isaiah, the God of the Bible, the God of the Scripture, on your terms. You want to meet him on his terms.